blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Stone Cold sets up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. We are coming strong as the college football season has come to a close. LSU, the team that we saw at DKR in September, is your national champion. Texas, gentlemen, does finish ranked in the top 25, number 25 in the AP poll. So I know that's not what everybody wanted at the beginning of the season, but hey, small victories, this is only the third time in the decade of the 20-teens, I guess we can call it, the Texas finishes ranked in the final AP poll, and it's the first time since Mac Brown's run of 12 straight rankings in final AP polls that Texas has ended consecutive seasons ranked in the AP poll. Baby so. steps. Uh, you read my mind. I baby was thinking, steps, don't worry. Yeah, baby steps. So we'll talk about the LSU National Championship, how that ties into Texas, look at some coaching staff stuff, all of that in this latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howell. Let me bring in the rest of the team. That's going to take this ride with me. And everybody, thank you guys so much for downloading, listening, subscribing, however you're doing it, wherever you're doing it. Thank you so much for supporting Longhorn Blitz. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? You're looking at those lines for next year, trying to get some of them futures bets? Uh, not really. I saw the futures odds on a few things in Texas, right where Texas was last year. It's like 25 to 1, 25 like top to 1. 8. Like yeah. same. Texas and LSU were both right at 25 to 1. It was like the tipping point of that game. And they flew up after that. Yeah, I have seen, uh, I saw the Caesars odds at Texas 25 to 1. I haven't seen any Heisman odds for. Sam Ellinger, yeah, but you know, whenever, whenever those come out, or if they're out already, he will be in that mix. And as Matt looks that up, a man who, he's got plenty of research because he was shuffling his papers before we started the show. <laughs> I don't know how he stays organized. Doing research right now, actually. But he manages mm-hmm. to do it. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever he gets that T-ring back in, I promise I will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they give you that black card. Number 21 in your program, number one in your heart's. Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother, as always. So, Rod, always, can we uh, finally – Some pep in my step. Can we finally close this decade out and be done with it? Yeah, officially it's done, baby. 2020. Let's uh, start fresh, new – well, not entirely new, but mostly new coaching staff for Texas. And as you pointed out, at least you ended the last decade on a – it's not an ultimate high, but a bit of a high considering recent events here on the 40 Acres. So, uh, beats the alternative. Yeah, no, you no, you ended you beat Utah, which was you know a, a, one of the better teams in the country, and now hopefully this reinvention of Texas football can have a similar result to, to the reinvention of LSU football, which, yeah. which you know there are a lot of lessons that I think Longhorn fans can be optimistic about. Now, obviously, you'll be hoping that the best possible case scenario happens, but you know I remember. It, LSU not too long ago was having similar discussions about LSU football. Not that they're where Texas is at all, but in terms of the transformation of LSU football, when are they going to take the next step? Yeah, uh, they were they were in in a sense in their eyes they were kind of mired in mediocrity because they couldn't beat Bama, they couldn't get over the hump. Yes, of course they were to be a nine or ten win program year after year, but they wanted to take the next step. That was hard for them. They brought in Joe Brady, Ed Orgeron, evolved as a coach. We're looking for Tom Herman to evolve as a head coach. A lot of people would have said Tom Herman was the better coach a year ago and not Ed Orgeron. All right? LSU, had, LSU wanted, wanted him. him. <laughs> exactly. Over um, but Ed O, he evolved. All right, yep. He evolved real time. We watched him evolve. All mm-hmm. right, And now he went from being a, a coach with that. You know, Now he's considered kind of a lovable 
um, a lovable character, but it, uh, before he was a caricature. Yes. You yeah. know, and people were making fun of him. Mm-hmm. Because he was more remember, of a water USC boy didn't want to hire him because rah, rah, he sounded all Cajun and everything. Now it's like, oh, that's just a little lovable thing about him. We like it because he's successful. Success mm-hmm. will change the perception of everything you do. Tom Herman giving the double bird and head button players. If you're winning games, you know what people are going to say? It's a player's coach. <laughs> so plus what he is. Matt Brown went when from you won soft that game to presidential. Versus, when you won that game versus Missouri and you was you was grabbing, you know, I don't know what the hell, securing the bag, whatever the hell it was, you won. So people were like, you know what? The players were united by that move. The players liked the move. Hell, I remember even Missouri at the time, their players saying, you know, if our coach had done that, we'd have followed our coach. People, people looked at it differently because you were winning. Winning changes to everything. People won't look at Now people look at you as a loser. Tom. I'm like, oh, man. Got, look what the loser's doing, headbutting players, giving the double burr. That guy don't know what the hell he's doing. If you were winning, they'd be saying, man, he's a bit of a renegade as a coach. He's out there, you know what I mean? He's doing things. He's uh, he's doing it his own way. He's he's uh, forging his own path. Nobody's ever done it like this at Texas. I mean, you know, they they, they changed the narrative. So all you got to do is win. Yeah, look Just at Mac win, Brown. Baby. The first half of the 2000s, <laughs> it was Mac Brown can't win. He was either had a soft team or was a loser, but then he was – Presidential. But he was compared yeah, yeah. to our nation's president because of his Great similarities point. between the two. And then, like the sim- if we're drawing parallels, this the way that this decade just played out reminds me of the '90s that I grew up and were confused about why was Texas, you know, such a heralded program yet didn't see the success. Like, think about the beginning. Well, you have a coach at the beginning of a decade. They had a big game. Now, theirs was like the shock the nation tour. Texas still sort of flashed in not 2000 to 2010. Then right after 2010, falls off a cliff. You have a coach not survive like Charlie did, Makovic did. But then you had a coach get hired. You finished two, the last two seasons of the decade, like rank get a little bit of momentum. And you didn't see 2000 to 2005 coming after 98, 99. You hoped it did. But just the idea that you opened the decade with hopes, looking as if you could win a championship as Texas was in it in that 2010 game, and then just having that guy fall out and then having to replace a guy real quick and then to quickly give those first couple of years, it's sort of similar to that one. Hey, uh, there's a couple, a couple things I want to uh, piggyback on what both of you guys said. Matt, with you, to me, I know we're talking about decades, so nice kind of 10-year chunks, start of one decade, end of another. But to me – where Texas is right now, it really mirrors kind of where things fell off under Fred Akers and where they looked like they were going to pick up under John Makovic. When you look at losing that Cotton Bowl at the end of the '83 season, which that Rod, I know you studied it when you were in the program, and even look back now, like mm-hmm. that '83 defense was freaking insane. It's like yeah, one of the was. best defenses. Yeah, it yeah, really, it was, one of, it was one of the greatest defenses in Texas. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest defenses really college in history football. college football. Yeah. With I, I think Texas set the before. I think the draft was still 12 rounds, but in the modern era draft since the merger, Texas tells the record, I think 17, 18 guys picked. Most of those guys were off that defense. Uh, but they lose that Cotton Bowl to Georgia heartbreaking fashion. They're number one in the country in 84. They have the tie against Oklahoma. Then it falls off a cliff. And then really through the end of Fred Akers and then under McWilliams, you had the shock to the nation year, but they're kind of – Nothing ever really seemed right, and it was more That's why the 90s felt like this. It was just a lot of murkiness. And it's kind of where Texas is now. It's kind of where if you you look at if you look at the 2019 Texas team, it's kind of almost where that 94 team was under Makovic, where they had some ugly games in 94. There was the loss to Rice. I remember them going out to Texas Tech and losing an ugly game. Mm -hmm. But then they kind of got it together. I remember a Thanksgiving win over Baylor. That yeah. seems to ring a bell. And then they like go they, they go to the Sun Bowl and beat North Carolina, coached by Mac Brown. Yeah. And then the next year they're ten and two. They win the conference. They beat A and M in the final Southwest Conference game at Kyle Field. And then they won the first Big Twelve title in a year where the record didn't match the expectations. Going Another way the nineties and the two and it fell off. But are the same. The Aggies both had the ending of a conference or the ending of a conference. But it's kind of it's kind of that same thing where Texas just went through this like 10, 11 year window where it fell off a cliff and you never really got it back all the way back. Exactly. Yeah. You just had your flashes like, ooh, this is what. Oh man, look yeah. at that. They you know that that team. Maybe they can be really good this year because they showed some signs of life or they showed some signs of momentum and progress in the year before, but it was never consistent. And, you know, that's the beauty of what Mac Brown did. It was that 
you say what you want, people were disappointed in just 10 wins at one point because he became a prisoner of his own excellence. But the truth is, that was, hella, that was about as consistent a program, a decade for a program as we've seen in college football history in terms mm-hmm. of just the consistency. I mean, that's what you want, right? Consistently good to be great. That's what Mac used to always say. And that's what he was during that time period. And you're trying to get back there. And obviously, you may not, baby, make it last a decade. I mean, I don't know if that is realistic. It, Probably should be. I mean, Ohio State can do it. And Texas. Oklahoma has been able to do it. Saban. Yeah, and you, you know, exactly. Going Bama, on Baker's you know, dozen. Clemson will probably end up with something like that. And it, you know, I mean, you should be able to do it if you have the right guy, and, and Texas should be able to get that guy. Hopefully Tom Herman is that guy. Um, but, yeah, man, it's I, I, I'm with you. I think right now it's it's similar to a lot of those recent examples you guys brought up because you just can't get to consistency. I mean, that, that Sugar Bowl win, everybody gets high, and then this season – you know, you only get to seven. It's just like, like you know, you look you in, know. like I said, in the eighties, like the first under McWilliams are seven and five, and maybe you think, okay, it's going somewhere. You get a bowl win, and then it bottoms out, and then you have the shock the nation year, and then yeah. really starting with that Miami Cotton Bowl the next year. I think they're five and six, and McWilliams is fired, and then yep. yeah, the regime change. But Rod, I don't want to like sit here and wax nostalgia about Mac Brown. No, and, no, no, no. And I'm trying to go revisionist, so just, revisionist yeah. history. But to your point, just about how successful the decade was, I'm just going to run you down the numbers starting in 2000, go through 2009. Here's your finishes in the final AP poll. 12th, 5th, 6th, 12th, 5th, 1st, 13th, 10th, 4th, 2nd. Your win totals in those years from 2000 to 2009, 9, 11, 11, 10, 11, 13, 10, 10, 12, 13. And I remember 9, 11, 11, and I remember the disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> right, because we it was I I think we were that talented. Yeah, we we were producing a lot of NFL talent on the forty acres. You see those guys going well. That's a first round offensive lineman, first round NFL player, first round running back, or first round wide receiver. Why isn't Texas doing more? And you know what? Those are the questions that fans are supposed to be asking at Texas. So I think ultimately getting back to what you know the lessons you learn from the national championship game. I think the number one is evolution of the coach. Right. I'm hoping we can see that from Tom Harmon. Number two is the transcendent transformation, transmogrification of a, of a quarterback. Because we all sat here six, seven months ago, and we clearly, LSU fans, I talked to plenty of them and said, oh, Sam Ellings is a better quarterback than Joe Burrow. No question. Like, yeah. We all agree with that. You guys had the quarterback advantage there. But, you know, we had disadvantage, disadvantage, disadvantage. And yet now Joe Burrow completed what might have been the greatest college football season in the history of college football for one individual player. Yep. And I, I said, you know, to me, I'm gonna, I'll talk about this on the show, on my show a little bit, but, you know, it is, to me, something Texas needs to be wary of. If he can be to LSU what Vince Young was to Texas, which is what a lot of people are yeah. making that kind of comparison, what Hopefully Tim Tebow was for Florida, happy. you know what I mean? Like, it can take that program to another level. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's crazy to think because LSU is at a pretty damn good level, but – They've never had a season like this where they're the highest-scoring team in the history of college football, set all the records, won all these awards. Beat seven-ranked teams. Mm-hmm. Seven they, they've been 10, recruiting damn good without that resume. <laughs> now they got that yeah. resume to add. They're coming into Texas, big things are swinging, and I'm telling you, they're coming in to take your best. And Texas needs that very best, those top 15 players in the state, to win a national title. But when Ohio State comes to town and when LSU now comes to town and when Bama comes to town, they're coming to take your five stars and your four stars. They say you can have your three stars because you know what? You ain't developing that well anyway. And in this league, in, in the Big 12, those schools with the offenses that really look at the offenses at Ohio State, the offense at LSU, mm-hmm. now they're starting to take skill guys. I didn't take the any wideouts. The guys that you need to win in the Big 12. Yeah, exactly. Quarterbacks, wide receivers. At first they were taking just your D lineman and your, your O lineman. He's like, damn, we can't keep yeah, that. Battles that. that you knew you were going to lose. You're losing those guys because they're producing NFL D lineman, O lineman, and you're not. But now, like you said, they're coming in and taking your wideouts and your cornerbacks. Because you're the Big 12. And, quarterback, and, what, and you got now, the Big 10 and the thing, SEC the, doing that? The one thing Texas has, you know, I think the state of Texas has done, I guess, a relatively decent job on is obviously that nobody produces quarterbacks like the state of Texas. Nobody in the history of America has ever done it in the history of the game, whether it be at the college or the pro level. You know, these prolific offenses start coming in here and taking Texas quarterbacks like Mahomes. Yeah. And, hell, even going back to what Tannehill, the guys who are playing in mm-hmm. the AFC title games, it's going to start taking those guys, the Baker Mayfields and the Kyler Murrays. 
And, you know, and I know Oklahoma's doing their part, too, to take it from Texas schools, but that is also could be trouble. Yeah, because, I mean, we talked about the SEC and the Big Ten for the past two decades have been this places you would say are not the offensive forefronts of evolution. This was the one, and now yep. if you have your top guys from the Big 12 leaving to join that, that'd be trouble. That'd be trouble. You mentioned the evolution of the coach, Rod, and I think that to me is, is kind of what, one of the things that really stuck with me watching LSU in this run they've been on. And, and can we stop? Like, I know we haven't done this, show. can we stop talking about the relevance of the end result of that Texas-LSU game in yeah. September? Like, that LSU team in September is not anywhere in the ballpark with where LSU is right now. No, they're not. No. I agree. It's still good that, that happened, but it doesn't have anything to do with yeah. what happened this night. It's, it's, it's almost like, how can I compare the title game? Like, it's almost like playing a game of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out and, like, Little Mac just wears himself out. And you got a nice lead. And it's like, all right, you finished? Okay, cool. And then LSU just put the hammer down. Yeah, no, no. I, it, it was interesting that Ed Ergeron like they did. They dominated Clemson. He gave a shout-out to Texas and said well, he has that every third and time. 17, that yeah. third and 17, he said, that's when I knew this team could win a national title. I'm not saying you can take that which way you want as a Texas fan, but it was a big game. It was oh, huge. It was. We it had was talked about how big game. it was. And I think – both programs went on different paths after that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Strangely yeah. enough. But, they, you know, and I mean, Ed O reiterated that. He talked yeah. about that play after the Auburn game, after the Alabama yeah. game at Joe Burrow. It was big. It was huge. And it was it's big. worth because mentioning that. he admitted that, well, after that game they couldn't stop Texas. If Texas gets that ball back during 17, the, the odds and success rates are really we're low. Going to Texas, or, well, let's, can going to overtime. Can we shelve third and 17 for a minute? Because I want I want to hit more on that. No, sorry. No, no, it's fine. But. The evolution, right? You know, you look at Ed Orgeron. You go back to his first year at LSU because he was the interim after Les Miles got fired. You know, was it four games into the the sixteen season? And then they had the coaching search. Are they going to hire Jimbo Fisher? Are they going to get Tom Herman? And they promote Ed Orgeron from interim to full time coach. And that twenty seventeen season, you get early into that thing. I mean, that game where they lost to Troy at home. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're wondering, like, man, I don't think Ed Orgeron's going to make it. Good point. Because yep. at that point, yep. they're three and two, they're three and two, getting ready to go on the road to play Florida, and you're like, man, I don't. Good point. It doesn't look good for Ed Orgeron. Yeah, and they he managed to just get through that season, and you know they won ten games last year, and they they get Joe Burrow, they get Joe Burrow, they get Joe Burrow. So went over the locker room, and that was <laughs> well, the big part there. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and from they that standpoint, also, guys. LSU, I mean, Les Miles was such a player's coach, and they even rallied to keep him in. So then they wanted to hand it over to a guy that also sort of felt that locker room, and he was able to capitalize but on the, it. And, and the bigger point to that is Joe Burrow, if from that standpoint, just getting the LSU and stabilizing the quarterback position, exactly. he saved Ed Orgeron's job. Exactly. Yeah. And, and often quarterbacks do. Right. <laughs> and, in, and in a lot of ways, Tom Herman has – that's what's mean. allowed him to have the success he's had, which is having a guy, a proven commodity at that position in Sam Ellinger. Amen. What well, Tom Her- at that exact same right. stage right now with Sam. What Tom Herman has to do, though, guys, is the same thing Ed Orgeron did. I wrote this after the Baylor game. Rob, you brought it up earlier, like the headbutting thing. That's really what I, I remember, like, I know it wasn't that long ago, but I remember sitting in the press box in Waco and watching that go down, <laughs> and my first thought was, man, if they don't win this game, that's all we're going to hear about. That's all you're going to talk about. That's it. All it's going to be talking exactly. about. <laughs> Sour Coach Sowers. And that only did they not win, they were pretty much dominated. Right. Game. Yeah. And yeah. now it's like you got your head, co- your head coach headbutting people, and it's just the, the, rab- the Pandora's box, that thing open. Exactly. But I wrote after the game, what Tom Herman's got to do is he's got to stop worrying about bits and gimmicks and really look in the mirror and understand what really needs to change fundamentally with this program because not everything is right. It's your culture. There's something there that is preventing you from taking the next step. And Ed Orgeron did that. And we talked about it all last summer. That's a great point. And we said the big if with LSU was we knew they hired Joe Brady. And, Rod, you mm-hmm. kind of cyberstalked Joe Brady. We talked about, look, yes, we understand Joe Brady's good, but if Ed Orgeron's not 
all in with Joe Brady, it doesn't matter. And right. I cyberstalked Ed O and found out that he was in love with these analysts. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was like, no, and they're changed. You could tell it was a changed offense. He was blown away by modern football. And that's what Ed Orgeron did is he said, look, if, I'm, if I want to beat Alabama, if I want to win the SEC and win the college football playoff, I've got to go all in with this because the old way is not working. Yeah, the way it worked. The way Les Miles spread. did it for a decade plus, it wasn't working. He said, no matter what, I had to find out a way to go to the spread, was his exact quote. And, 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 you know, Gary yeah. Patterson, we talked about Gary Patterson did the same thing when he brought in Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham, and you had, it's, it's, it's kind of, the, it's not all that different from what LSU had because TCU always, Gary Patterson's always going to have good defenses. Yep. But it's just that, that lightning in a bottle of Sonny Cummy and Doug Meacham getting to TCU at the right time where they had good skill guys. You had Trayvon Boykin, a quarterback. And really, their one awful fourth quarter in Waco away from being in the playoff that year. I agree with you on that. Like, you can't, you can't sit there and look at their body of work and tell me that 2014 TCU team wasn't one of the four best teams in the country. Yeah. And that's because Gary Patterson made the same decision that Orgeron did. He's like, if, well, I, if I'm going to thrive in this job, then he had to evolve. I, I have to evolve. I have to change. And that's what Tom Herman Rod has to ask himself. Where do I need to evolve? What needs to change for this thing to take the next step? And I don't think necessarily any of us can answer that question. We have observations about it because, you know, we've talked about this, too. Listen, I was actually texting with uh, some Longhorn players last night because actually after the game, it's crazy, like three or four different guys hitting me up and they're like, what do you think about this? You know what I mean? Because you tell they would have been watching the game, watching LSU, think to themselves, okay, we played LSU close. Man, what does this mean? Like, and, and also, how far are we from that? Yeah. <laughs> like, are we, are we miles away from that? Because Oklahoma's not even close to that, and we're getting beat by Oklahoma consistently. How far away is Texas from that national championship stage? And that's a, that's a reality conversation. And, you know, I basically come to the conclusion that we're not even close. Uh, and that's what, that's what Tom Herman's got to figure out the yellow brick road to get to where LSU is now from Texas, from where we are. Mm-hmm. LSU had a different path. They, were, they had different issues in Texas. Texas has been mediocre for like a decade. There are issues there Mac Brown couldn't solve, Charlie Strong couldn't solve, and you have failed to solve in your first two or three years. You know what I mean? Like there are some deeply systemic issues with Texas football right now. You got to go in and figure out what that is. Yeah. And also a lot of that reflects on you as a coach. You got to do all that introspection and break it down. That's why you're paid the big bucks. That's why you got the you know the advances and the bonuses. And good for you. You deserve it. But if you don't go in and solve this problem, you'll be gone in two, three years too. I guarantee you will. I've watched this cycle over and over again. So, given to your point about Edo's run, he lost to freaking Troy in 2017. Yeah. He had his lows, and he, he he had that man in the mirror moment. Uh-huh. This is for Tom Herman, the man in the mirror moment. I actually, we've talked on this podcast for years to try to figure out what the hell is wrong with Texas football. And we've come up with all these theories, but we don't truly know. We thought getting a quarterback would solve all those issues. You got a real quarterback. You got one that can compete at the highest level, an elite quarterback. I saw today Pro Football Focus. Well, not yes, yesterday. Pro Football Focus put out um, Cam Miller, who does a great job with them, that the best quarterbacks in the country versus the Blitz were Trevor Lawrence and right after him, Sam Elliott. Better yeah. than Joe Burrow versus the Blitz. Yeah. I'm thinking to myself, well, what the, how the hell is the, what? what? That doesn't make sense to me. He should have been better then. Like, you didn't weaponize Sam Ellinger well enough, and maybe that's part of it too. Maybe you got to figure out how best to weaponize Sam Ellinger, and that'll lead you to the you know solving the rest of the issues. I, I actually don't know at this point. I do think there are a lot of deeply defense is going through the same cycle every three years. The offense, we thought Sam Ellinger would solve all the problems, that did not. Versus elite defenses, we thought you being a play caller would solve the issues, that did not. You got whipped versus elite defenses. So I don't know what's going on. Well, I, I don't up. know exactly. I don't. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that drastic. I think it, it's like my Matt Butler always talks about it. You know, it's like uh, chemical compounds, right? Just adding a little bit of this element, a little bit of that element, can completely change the chemical. You know, what I mean, a, a composition of something, mm-hmm. and then make it something totally different. Something that once was toxic, mm-hmm. to some, something that you have to you, you live to thrive on. And for te- it was just adding Joe Brady for LSU. That was simple. They kept everything else. Like we added Joe Brady. And it was like, well, that's it? Well, then we had well, Joe Burrow, but then we added Joe Brady, and that was it. And it's like, okay, 
Well, then for for Texas, what's the equivalent of that? And then what's that the cure-all? behavior that got you to that point? Because the big thing with Ed O with him was looking in. It was an honest self-assessment. And you've talked about it with Texas and Tom Herman and this staff. We've seen just simple things that sort of confused us at time as to you weren't this aware that y'all this was your weakness. Is like if you aren't able to identify your weaknesses and then be able to admit that yeah. you have those faults in these areas, and that's what Ed O did. He's like, I don't know offense. He's like, I know defense. I've been pl- coaching defense my whole life. I've never been able to stop that type of offense. In his dire times, I mm-hmm. need to go and admit that I don't know it and go hire the best at doing what I d- can't do. And everybody's different. There's different weaknesses for every person. And just to get to the point professionally, I mean, Ed O's talked many about his failures, his failures at Ole Miss and even why he didn't get it at USC and how he had to change as a person, his whole way that he approached the players and just every single element to it is so layered and so deep that there isn't ever going to be one exact thing. But if the coach isn't understanding first his personnel and then honestly assessing what he can do, control, and maximize, and then understanding what he needs to delegate. Like, Mac was a great delegate. He knew to delegate everything, but I can go and I have the resources to be able to find the best in the world. So, But if you aren't being honest with yourself, and like that's where we saw the odd behavior at times from Herman, because we thought he was one type of guy that was like this Mensa dude that was going to scheme us open and we were going to play at the smart maximize level and then he wants to be this physical He thought bunch formations versus Utah was something cutting edge. Yes. Like, I'm breaking this out. Like, I mean, literally, it was like, it's a, we hadn't used bunch formations all year long. This is what Colin Johnson said, but we broke it out versus Utah because that would dictate what coverage they played. It always dictates what coverage they played, Tom Herman. It's it wasn't simple. just Utah. It would have been everybody. And it's like, getting to your point, it's like, Where's the Mensa? That's not Mensa. That's more meathead. It's like, did you and see I the very first he's play of the admit, Texans game? He's got to admit, I'm kind of a meathead. Yeah. I actually am more of a meathead than I am Mensa at times yeah. for football. And that's so fine. Then delegate. Nothing wrong with that. Mike Vrabel's a meathead. Ed O's the, the biggest A-F- meathead ever. Ed O's a meathead. And they're in the AFC title game, and no one just won the national title. It's okay. Vrabel said he'll cut his But you, but you have to off. admit you're a meathead first. You cannot stare yourself in the mirror and go, I'm Mensa. I'm Mensa, baby. That's what they call me. Yeah. No, no. What we call you and perceive you to be is not what you actually are. And you have so to know you that. you got to figure that out. And to your point about Ed O saying, as a D-line coach, the toughest thing for me to stop is a spread offense, so I'm going to it. Bob Stoops did the same damn thing. Yep. When he Higher came to, to Oklahoma, he said, the hardest offense that I've ever went, uh, went up against is the air raid. I'm taking that dude from Kentucky with the air raid, and I'm bringing it to Oklahoma, and I'm going to see if anybody in the Big 12 can stop the damn offense that I, the best defense of mine in football, couldn't stop. Yeah. And, 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 and by the way, you're, you're your example for TCU, same thing. Gary Patterson came to the Big Show and went, damn it, I've been able to stop every offense pretty much in the country that I've ever seen, and I can't stop these air raids. They are whipping my butt. That's not even the problem with Gary Patterson. It was they they were they were feeling good defenses. They couldn't score. His realization was if I can't score points, I'm going to get fired. Well, Just like LSU. But, but it wouldn't be a big deal if he was stopping those offenses. He wouldn't have cared. And he'd that's where cool with, was He'd have been cool year. with winning those games by three points. And he was getting tired of having heart attack specials every week going, holy, I can't, I can't score points and I can't stop them. What am I going to do? So he sold his soul to the air raid. Same thing happened with Ed O. So my, going back to what I said about Tom Herman, dude, why go get a defense that you've been able to manipulate? Why mm. not go get a defensive coordinator who runs the defenses that have mm. given you fits? Yeah. And he, I don't know if he did that or not, or at least go to those concepts, but that's how we go about you being more meathead than Mensa. I don't necessarily see that. Coaches are problem solvers. That's it. They, they're like people, you, know, you ever watch The Office with Stanley? Yeah. Stanley, Stanley <laughs> on The Office, he's obsessed with crossword puzzles. Every day he does a crossword puzzle, even at work, right? They essentially, that's what coaches are. Every day they got to get up and solve Routine. these really complicated problems. Every day. And every day it's a little. That's why Matt Rule's like, day to day. I'll go day to day. I'll figure it out. Because mm-hmm. he knows what coaching is. Coaching is getting up every day at four in the morning. All right. After probably going to bed at one or midnight, or and then getting up like every day and just solving little problems. What they're, they're small, they're small, they're smaller than they're big. In the game versus, um, you watch the? Did you watch the Forty Nine ers Minnesota Vikings game? Yeah, I did. I don't. You watch the game? Okay. Yeah. Do you see the the first uh, the first half when basically Minnesota starts picking on the corner Witherspoon, mm-hmm. and they basically get a touchdown, forty one yard touchdown. Stephon Diggs on really Witherspoon. Quick. They went after on four plays in a row. They it's the same thing that um, Clemson and it happened to Clemson LSU. What did Clemson was, go after? Who did they go after? They didn't go after Stingley. Who did they go after? Fulton. Fulton. Because we know, here at Longhorn fans, we know Fulton, he's not the number one corner, even though they tell you he is. Mm. Stingley's the number one corner. I watched Brennan Eagles roast 
Christian Fulton. Dude, they went after Fulton all day, every day. And the same thing on the other side. LSU went after number eight, I it's believe terrible. it was. All day, every day. Dude, find the weakness and just go get it yep. and force them to over-adapt to deal with it. They, they 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 scored. Minnesota scored after going after Witherspoon. Like time after time. Went after like four times in a row. He got a PI. Just was getting lit up. They put in Emmanuel Mosley, their backup corner. He had three third down tackles. He had a, a third another third down stop because they went after him too. And then they figured out, oh, we can't do a damn thing. He had six first downs after that. Hmm. Shano literally went over, all right, Saw to Sella and said, take him out. Hmm. I'm going to solve this problem right now. Take him out. Sweet delay. The Houston Texans put Lonnie Johnson, a rookie cornerback, on Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey had 10 receptions for 132 yards, three touchdowns. They never had a plan B. Their plan B was, ah, man, we're going to double him and put a linebacker on him. It's like, that was your best plan? And then what was the pro- what was, how were you going to solve the problem when Travis Kelsey did beat him inevitably, which you should have known was going to happen? And that's where, like, say, Belichick go, go solve that problem. Go yeah. solve that or problem. have every problem solved before you I get didn't there. See you enough have to of have that. Why didn't Tom Herman should have been over at Todd Orlando saying, hey, man, listen, listen, mm-hmm. listen. our three-man front sucks. Let's go to four-man front. I understand you want to do it, but for us, it'll work better. For our guys, it'll work better. You should just at least put Osai on the line, do this, and then, then we'll see how it works out. He never did that, but that's part of being a problem solver. You ain't got to go call the plays with his coordinator. Go over and say, hey, man, this is a suggestion. I want this done. I'm a CEO. Do it. Let's roll on. This is where... It's funny. I don't, problem, man. I don't want to get too far off on an NFL tangent. It's but the problem. Have you seen the clip of when Mike Pettin and Kyle Shanahan were together in Cleveland? <laughs> yes. That's so it's good. late in the game, and, and Pettin, his, his Pettin looks at Shanahan and says, I want to run the ball. And Shanahan's just giving this look like Brian running. And, he, <laughs> and then Pettin all right of a sudden now. just says, run your best play. <laughs> and it's like a little, little, run, a little bootleg when Brian Hoyer throws a touchdown. Talk, I just thought that was hilarious. Exactly. Um, but Pettin, but, Pettin, not a good head coach. And listen, him trying to solve a problem, that was bad. Right. And Shannon's like, that's bad. Dude. So and, right. the, the Tom Herman discussion, though, Rod, I think where I think part of his evolution is in this. You mentioned the conversation with Todd Orlando that should have been had. When Tom Herman got the Houston job, he did the same thing like we talked about. He said, what, as an offensive coordinator, what, is the, what, what do I hate facing on defense? It's like when you're a three-man front because that means you've either got extra linebackers or you've got extra DBs on the field. Yeah. Don't like it. You have a hybrid edge rusher. Mm-hmm. Don't like that because you can make him multiple. It jacks with your protections and everything yeah. else. Uh, you're multiple in the secondary. It changes your coverages on the fly. Makes things confusing for the quarterback. Basically, Todd Orlando had the framework of everything Tom Herman wanted in a defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And I think Tom Herman, if he's guilty of anything, I think it's just putting too much trust in Todd Orlando and waiting till it was too late. He basically he go. said, you know what, T.O.'s good. He'll figure it out. And when he realized that wasn't going to happen, it was too late. Yep. And I think that's why he made the move to fire him because I think that was part of Tom Herman's reflection. It said, look – if this program was going to get where it needs to get for him to thrive and succeed in this job, it can't be with Todd Orlando as the defensive coordinator. No. It just can't. And I think that's part Not of that him. he's a bad coordinator either. And, and you, but you look at how he's reconstructing the defense now. goes back to something Matt said. It's knowing your personnel. Where is Texas really deep right now? Really deep on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. Not near enough active. And, Matt, I'll give you a second to pull up the football outsiders numbers for how bad the Texas defensive mm-hmm. line was this year. But I think he's looking at the resources and saying, you know what, I want more of a true four-man front. And Chris Ash is going to use – basically, he's going to use Joseph Osai as a stand-up outside linebacker. Not a hybrid guy, but a stand-up edge yeah, rusher. No and be more of a true four-man front and really try to get after people. And I think that's – Right. Basically, he's going to – and I, I love the, the quote I used last week. Like, you don't train thoroughbreds to, to move backwards. Yeah, man. And you're going to be more of a true four-man front. If there's one thing you could take from the Utah game, not just one thing, but there's a couple things you could take from the Utah game and feel good about going forward, I think it's the fact that, yeah, when you do allow Taquan Graham and Tavondre Sweat and Keandre Coburn, Mm -hmm. when you put them in situations where they're allowed to cut loose and go make plays, they can go make plays. They can be disruptive. And I think that's what Tom Herman's saying, and that's part of the, the, the mindset now and having two defensive line coaches, a defensive tackles coach and a defensive ends coach, which is how this staff is going to be structured in 2020 and beyond, is i got to get the most out of the talent i got on the defensive line. you got two secondary coaches, two defensive line coaches. Those are two position groups where if you're weak at linebacker, then I'm going to get the most I can out of the defensive line and the most I can out of the secondary, yep. and it'll minimize the issues you've got at linebacker. Well, that follows what we've been – 
even the recruiting, right? I mean, you've been getting really deep at defensive back for the last three years, really deep at D-line the last three years. The way the defenses are set up these days, you minimize the linebacker position for the most part anyway. You're taking hybrids from the secondary and put them in your linebacker depth. Um, so I, I totally agree. I, I like you need to develop talent overall. That's been my biggest concern. I say when Texas gets back to developing NFL talent again, that's when Texas will get back to championship uh, contention again. And I'm glad they have two coaches in the secondary and two on the D-line. I think that emphasizes we want to develop this talent. Yes, we're going to teach maybe a more simplified scheme, but these guys are going to be so damn good at it and their technique's going to be so flawless that they're going to reach their, their, their highest achievement level under us. You know and what I mean? and I'll, I'll give you a guy to watch. It's kind of the measuring stick of can Texas develop talent. Just for the next few well, years. Well, not just not Osai, because I think we've seen the flashes of him. I and know, he was but a, if he doesn't get but then we know. Right, but here, just just <laughs> just, just, just take take this walk with me. Tavondre Sweat. Tavondre Sweat was a value three-star recruit, had some offers early. He had Alabama offer or whatever. But, you know, not a lot of people were on him. Mm-hmm. Texas evaluated him early, really liked him. He's the kind of guy that three or four years down the road, if you're doing it right, needs to be an NFL guy. And why why am I hung up on Tavondre Sweat? Because I talked to Malcolm Roach at the Alamo Bowl when defensive players were made available. It's like me and Malcolm Roach. That's where you can get like some one on one. And I'm just going down. It's kind of what I do at the bowl games. I kind of go down the young guys. And we're talking about Tavondre Sweat. And Malcolm Roach told me straight up. He goes, "He's the most talented guy in our room." Wow. And I said, "Seriously?" He's like, "Yes." He's like, "Physically, he's the most gifted, talented guy in that room." Wow. So you're telling me a, bold statement. a guy yeah, that's a that athletically that gifted yeah. that your senior captain on his way out saying he is the most physically talented guy in the room, mm. if that guy is not an all-Big 12-level player by the time he's done, you failed. I agree with that. Amen. No, that's I didn't know that. That's, that's a bold statement by Malcolm Rose. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I agree. I'm, I'm looking at all of the guys, though. We're looking at where they are now and then where they end up. That's what development is pretty much. I mean, Joseph Asai right now, we just flashed his ceiling. Mm-hmm. And that's a guy, honestly, by the time he leaves, he should be worthy of being defensive player of the year in the Big 12. Like that's what we're kind of. I'm seeing those kind of flashes. I've seen it like three or four times last year and on last the other, season. On, and if he doesn't, by the time he leaves, I'm telling you. These like, corners, Rod. These corners. Development. These corners and safeties, they're going into draft eligible years. Yeah. Like, you're at the point now where if you want to know how good the staff is at, at, at developing talent, Jalen Green, Caden Stearns, B.J. Foster, those guys should have NFL decisions Sean. to make after the year. I agree. Well, but they got to they be able to stay healthy first, like, which means you might need to evaluate something else in your program. Because, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. No, that's you're part right. of reach. Trust me, as a guy who and it kind of ended my career injuries, and that, they're not always anything you can control. But if you can't control any part of it, you would like to be able to control as much as you can. A lot of guys been injured in that secondary. I, I can't remember a secondary that yep. was this injured in the history of Texas football just, ever. They lost almost every starter. And skill position, guys. (laughs) I mean, outside of DuVernay, you know, your running backs and receivers were banged up. So it was across the whole team. And when you look overall, like when you were talking earlier about, you know, where Texas is in context. And, you know, if you were to look at, say, LSU in recent years, you know that they have talent. But you maybe didn't see it just being something that could be so overpowering so quickly by a few changes. If you look at Texas, the main difference from what I'm seeing right now or what it reminds me of is sort of the early years of Mac, where your starters could play with anybody. But because of the systemic issues within the program where we Texas hasn't had continuity, they haven't had a staff, this will be that first one. We talked about it two podcasts ago where you get the – four-year cycle where actually a coach that recruited players can see that senior year come from them or even like a draft-eligible year because in all the other ones, Mac was gone by that cycle year. Charlie was gone. This is that one where if you can get that type of depth, we already see that there has been talent that can play, and we've seen that ceiling be heightened by Herman, but the consistency isn't there, and a lot of that consistency or injuries, things like that, can quickly expose you if you lack in depth. And if you can finally start to pile up these classes, not have one cratering class to give you that big old bust rate that's going to go and take you down, you may be able to go and finally get to the point where you can survive losing it now. You can't survive losing your whole secondary like this year, but it'd be nice if, like, say, your whole secondary Secondary in 2002 went down instead of in 99, it would be a lot different. Yeah, I mean, you'd had 
that you had Griffin you had and Huff. And, and Huff and, so, like, at that yeah, point, you could survive it. So once you get into mm-hmm. that, but y'all couldn't have survived that at the beginning of the Mac era because that was a time whenever an injury to you or Jammer could hurt something really big early on. Very true. Matt, to your point about minimizing uh, minimizing the bus rate, you look at that 2019 class and you look at the guys that signed and that were on campus at one point, Brew McCoy's already transferred. Gabriel Floyd's medically retired. Does Brew count? Yeah, you've had some we, bad luck. But we don't know if Darian Brown's ever going to play. Yeah. We don't know if Peter Pudgy's ever going to play. I can't tell you what the deal is with Javon Shepard right now. He's still in the portal but hasn't found a home. The so port- I don't know. Don't count on him being part of the future. Caleb Johnson's transferred out. So You can't afford to have any players that get on the field not play well. Yeah, that like, class yeah. isn't trending the way you probably need it to. That's a great point. Yep. I agree with you. And not all those are Tom Herman's fault. Like I said, no, that's, Darren yeah. Brown, Peter Pudgy's medical issues. He's happy Darren Brown's okay right now. Brew McCoy. He's got medical issues too now, though. He did, but apparently he's but apparently he's fine. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, I was like that. That was like sad. He almost never even counts because he never got on campus. But that's 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 why getting back to Matt's point. That's why. You know, minimizing the bus rate as much as you can, yeah. like just those those small margins are so important because there are going to be things that are going to happen that, that you have no control. Now of. it's you your special young team, man and you got to get out there. And yeah, play. you don't know anything about that. You're just hoping that the young man's okay. You're not guys transferring, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, medically retiring. There are going to be things like that that happen naturally. But if you have one, you know, one class that ended up with a very high bus rate, then another class like 2019 trending that way. That back-to-back could be disastrous. Yeah, bad luck can only magnify your busts. Like, if you have bad luck, and then it just opens up that door to have the magnification of a potential miss. And then if you missed on that guy, well, now you're left with two and you have zero. No, I totally agree. And I think if if you want kind of a sign that this staff can develop guys, go back and look at that 2017 class, that transition class. Because, I mean, Tony Carter transferred out and you've had Rob Cummins medically retire. And I guess if you want to count Josh Rowland, he played for two years and then grad transferred. Yeah. But he, he, you got eligibility out of him, yeah. and he was your kicker for one year. I would year. say he got some reps. Yeah. But Sam Ellinger, Taquan Graham, Gary Johnson, Montrell Estelle, Josh Thompson, Reese Leto, Marquez Bimage, Kobe Boyce, Derek Kerstetter, Danny Young, Cade Brewer, Sam Cosme, Jamari Chisholm. Yeah. Like all those guys except for Chisholm that, have started at least started say, at some they've point. They've all been at least significant contributors. That'll get you back right, to right. being where Texas should be. That you're right and there that's a ahead hell of, of everybody, but for a transition class. Basically, your own, your only outright bust in that class are Tony Carter and Jordan Pouncey. And you can survive that. Yeah. No, you're right about that. Because you found you found a starting quarterback, a starting defensive lineman, an all Big Twelve linebacker, tight end. Estelle provides depth and safety. Thompson's going to have a chance to start in a nickel, a starting tight end, a starting caliber defensive lineman, a yeah. starting caliber corner, another starting offensive lineman, a starting running back, a starting another starting tight end, a potential All American offensive tackle. Like you, that's yeah. that's when you're getting somewhere. No, I totally agree. You built you built a lot of your foundation with that class, and that's hard to do with a transition class. So that's that's a good sign. The tough one, as you look, start looking towards spring, the tough one's going to be the 18 class because a lot of these guys enter in their third year. <laughs> they're on there, they're on, they're right there on the on it's the fence. It's kind of you know what or get off the toilet yeah, time right for some the of these guys. Look, you Caden know, Stearns, B.J. Foster, Jalen Green, Demarvion, Overshone, Brennan Eagles, yeah, Anthony DBs, Cook, yeah. like those top few guys. Good, yeah. You're fine. You got NFL uh, guys there. Yeah. You got Joshua Moore situation. Don't know what's going to happen there. Mm-hmm. It's not 100 percent clear. Although I'm expecting him to be back. Alvante Woodard is a guy that. Wow, Houston lost, Lamar, right? Lost in the mix, yeah. yeah. And then you go, and then it starts, I'm just going down where they were ranked, and then it starts Deshaun Jameson, Delia Dayaway, Keandre Coburn, Junior Angulau, Keontae Ingram, Joseph Osai. Another run of guys that are starting caliber players for you. We're talking about our yeah. upperclassmen foundational classes. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's a big thing. You don't know You don't know what, what's going to happen with Malcolm Epps, Cameron Rising transferred, but then Casey Thompson. And then this is the group of guys where you need to start to figure some things out. Casey Thompson, Reese Moore, Rafidi Germay, Moro Ojimo, Byron Vaughns, Daniel Carson, Christian Jones, those type guys. Mm-hmm. Though, that 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 group with Alvante Woodard, those probably what I just named five, four, five, six guys. Yeah. Those are the guys that now you need to figure out, okay. They can be really important, especially a wide receiver. We've been talking about right. that. And with that's Colin Johnson and, 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 Devin and depth on the offensive line is always yeah. important. Yeah. And it's time to figure out, okay, can Rafidi Germay be a starting center? Or is he a depth guy? Can Christian Jones be a starting right tackle? Or is yeah. he a depth guy? That's going to determine your recruiting projections 
right? And wants and needs and all that yeah. for the 2021. Because if you're Herb Hand, you might be looking at 21 saying, you know what, I think some of these guys might grad transfer out yep. or, or retire or whatever. I ain't going to recruit me an extra offensive And those are the yep. type of guys that sounds like, uh, as you used as an example, Patterson for decades has been able to maximize those guys at this tipping point where you say didn't know him or you hadn't seen production, but then when given the opportunity, they're prepared, ready to go, and you can plug in. And as long as you don't have mm-hmm. that horrid bust rate where it falls off or now with the transfer portal when they end up leaving if you can get those guys where you're sort of wondering are these guys going to be able to make it what's going to play out here and if you can Mm -hmm. get that satisfactory performance from both of them it just allows you to be as good as your stars or your leaders i would say in the big 12 a lot of teams have that i think gundy does that really well i think patterson does that really well hence why texas struggled the past decade yeah i think matt campbell's really good at that just kind of max it like i'm not going to waste any of this talent i have i got to maximize rule was really good at it so yeah that in texas bill snyder just just opposed to texas that is yeah that's pretty start it's a pretty stark contrast yes it's the Um, whole difference in like where texas is right now no question i do want to talk about the coaching situation let's do it because we got a little bit of breaking news but i want to i want to talk about the third and 17 (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. We we're going to get back to it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, we, I, 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 I have a promise. I have a bad habit of doing that. So, like, well, let's table that, and we never get back to it. But <laughs> I, I want to talk about third day. and seventeen. And it's funny when you look at teams that win championships, you can usually point back to one play, one moment where you said, "Okay, that's that's where it kind of the, yeah. the thing turned." It convinced you, like. Oh, yeah. Like Texas in 2005, the Lima Swede catch in the corner of the end zone against Ohio, Ohio State. Ohio State, yep. So when you realize you went up there at the horseshoe at night, you beat mm-hmm. Ohio State, an Ohio State team that was freaking oozing NFL talent everywhere yeah. and beat them, had a future Heisman winner playing quarterback mm-hmm. in Troy Smith. That's when I think everybody realized, yeah, okay, now you can start thinking about the big picture. And yeah. thank you, Trestle, for not starting him. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, thank whatever – I forgot Justin whatever, what, the Troy Smith, what the Troy Smith situation was. But anyway – um, you got in trouble in the offseason. Yeah, when you look at when you look at third and seventeen, I think Rod it ties in just kind of everything we talked about. I think it's, I think Texas is closer than they've been in a while mm. to being legitimately in a position where they can take that next step and get into that upper tier. Does that make any sense? Is what I just said. I know that's hard to yeah, follow. No, yeah, no, no. But closer than they've been to win the Big Twelve. Closer than they've been in a while to being legit, where you can legitimately yeah. say, "Okay, the next step is the next step is winning the Big Twelve. Right? They haven't done that. Hell, they didn't do it that much with Mackles here. It's right. hard to do. For them. So that's that's where the program is. But I think it also tells you, man, that's really how kind of far away you are from being elite too. Yeah, I agree. Because the Big Twelve champion ain't close to right. LSU. When you can win that game, and <laughs> if you Bama, don't win the Big 12, or it doesn't State matter. Or Clemson. And then what we're talking about, we're talking about developing talent, evolution of the coach, evolution of your scheme. Again, like I said earlier, look at LSU in September and look at them now. Yeah. Hmm. They're so – you can't even quantify how much better they are. They are. That was game two for Joe Burrow in this offense. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. They've gotten better like every every week too almost. I mean, yeah. exponentially better. No, I'm with you. Yeah, I love when you brought up the stat, though, a second ago or earlier in the show about which quarterbacks were most successful against pressure. It's like Todd Orlando was like, see, I should have just brought it all the blitz to Joe Burrow. No, I will say the third <laughs> seventeen couldn't get to bring it to match point. I will say third seventeen. Remember, we, I, we talked about that. Todd Orlando, his defat, his well, default, I wish I his default setting. Orlando last well, no, night. His, his default setting was always I'm just going to bring pressure. I'm going to bring the blitz, even an all out blitz. I will say now, looking back in retrospect, against Burrow, it's right I don't know if there's anything you could have did against LSU. Well, no, eight man. Did now you see looking the back, against now looking at what coverage? Britt Venables and Kevin Steele and Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, looking Alex at how Grinch. all of them with even more game film than Todd Orlando had. By the way, remember, he didn't have any film. He had like one game to watch. You know yes. what the hell Joe Brady's going to throw out there? Considering that, I will say now, yeah, I don't know what he could have done. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a guy, Joe Burrow, who played the greatest college football season ever in the history of college football, probably for a quarterback. And that the wide receiver, they scored more points than anybody else. They had a Blitnikoff Award winner. I, I really, maybe maybe that was the right call. I, even in hindsight. <laughs> well, against him it was because I maybe heard the stat it was last the right night. Call. Well, Did you hear just them talk about how Burrow, I'll get the exact number, but he's something absurd since like the Auburn game against 
eight man coverages, and he's like ninety yeah. percent. I'm he's not lying. Freak, he's ninety percent against eight men dropping back. Yeah, he's, he's just a freak. He's just a freak. Like, yeah. that, like okay, he's a freak. He's like he's like V Y. What's the what was the yeah. big third third long that Kansas. he converted? What was the third and what? No, well, Kansas was in 04. 04 but what was fourth, fourth and nineteen. <laughs> Nick Reed had his More leg. It was on the stage. I mean, some guys are just freaks, man. Like he's a freak. What do you yeah. mean to say? Tyler uh, was, was probably right back, smoking a cigar, just like Joe Burrow was going. Oh, what y'all got to say now, huh? They, they, the guy's a freak, and the system was a freak. But here's the problem I have with third and seventeen, and I think this goes back into Tom Herman eventually losing faith in Todd Orlando. The call is not what I have a problem with necessarily. The issue I have with that whole situation is. Todd Orlando had in his mind whatever the situation was, exactly. he was running a zero blitz. For the rest of the And that's, that's not true. knowing your personnel, not knowing that's the true. situation, not knowing the opponent. Like every coaching intuition you have, everything in the coaching booklet that says, this is what you need to know on a third down call. Todd Orlando threw caution to win and said, to hell with it. I'm going zero blitz no matter what. <laughs> you know, that's what I have a problem no, no, with. I'm not and not giving yourself I, a chance. Uh, totally, I'm just saying, like, at this point, I am now thinking to myself, what would have been more effective? And I'm not sure another tactic would have been that much and more I effective. And I think it was the right call on that is, play. Now, you he probably would, I would his say defense this, the rest If of you don't zero blitz, you probably don't get a touchdown. But yeah. we know the game's over though. Right. They get they get that third. They get the first down. The game's over. Right. You know what I mean? So I'm just yeah. No, it's a great discussion because I thought about it for like 20 minutes last. Night. I was like, damn, that's it's pretty. Because right I, I saw time. that safe that Matt was talking about. I was yeah. like, he's really good when you drop back eight, but he's also one of the best quarterbacks in college football with these blitz. Well, hell, what do I do? The, fr- the I think the frustration <laughs> the frustration of third and 17 though, I think it boils down to this. I think if you're a Texas fan, when you look at the body of work of LSU season. Texas had the best chance to beat LSU. They did because because it was the second game of the season. Mm-hmm. It's at home. Got them early. Yeah, it, it, the, the, that was the after yep. that. Like you, no, nobody really had a chance. I totally agree with you. Yep, and I think that's the disappointing thing if you're Texas because think about it, if you're eight and four team instead of seventy five, but your one win was over then because they probably still would have been the national title even with the one loss to Texas because they'd have won the SEC. In my opinion, they still yeah. won the SEC and they still went to the they national wouldn't title. have been the number one seed. But in the they had one yeah. loss, and if your one loss was Texas and Texas was an eight, you know, I mean, sorry, sorry, uh, nine and eight, four, eight, yeah, nine and four instead of eight and eight and five. Then yeah, I think I think it matters. I think it it matters. Yeah. It does. Honestly, you may win another game if you win that LSU game. Who knows how you know the season shakes out your confidence yep. level. What you, yeah, you like exactly. What you you never know what happens no, you crazy. win that game. Who gets hurt? That's like when, the like literally that's one of the biggest games of the season in college football. You win that game, they can completely change the entire season. B.J. Foster admitted like the final. Trek trying to chase him down for no reason on third and seventeen was when the hamstring popped. Like that was one of the injuries. <laughs> that I was guess. one of the <laughs> it was something was that's like not funny, really, by the way. But, but it is the truth. That's true. That's but it's, it's things like instead of <laughs> that's why Caden Stearns probably got hurt that play too. Well, no, but but here here's the thing with that though. It, it, instead of feeling the need to get back up on the horse the next week, does Tom Herman just treat the Rice game as like anybody that's got any lingering injuries not playing tonight? We'll take our twos and threes, and we'll still go trust ourselves to beat Rice by twenty. Mm, that's a good point. No, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Like I said it could, it could be uh, any number of things. Uh, but I, I, I do think you're right. I think everything could be a little bit different. Just the perception of the team is different. If you and, and remember, we, we came on this show. And I know we got to get to the coaches thing. We came on this show and said after that game, we thought Tom Hearn was being intentionally vanilla. Because, remember that was like yes. that was the theory. It was yeah, a working, too much credit. It was a great theory. The working theory was by Jeff. He was being intentionally vanilla because he wanted to see straight up can his athletes beat LSU athletes, and he didn't want to reveal anything because he wanted to keep a lot of the uh, his concepts and schemes keep them secret for the Big Our Twelve season, and that made perfect sense. And then come to find out, nope. Nope, that was just Texas. That was basically one of the that, that was like the one of the apexes, if you will, like the that was the zenith of Texas offense actually well, and defense because we were like, oh well, maybe you know Orlando well, will do something when he gets Utah to the Big was 12. better. I don't know if the Texas offense was sure. better versus Utah. Texas offense probably had their best game of the season. Now looking back versus LSU, yeah, I was more yeah. sense of humor, you know what I mean? but basically no. what we saw in that LSU game, the vanilla on one side and all blitzing on the other That's side, true. that was Extreme. Texas for the <laughs> yeah. entire year. That ain't That's we that we. That's should have just point. left then. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I know. I said it's kind of in, in a decade full of what ifs from Colt McCoy's injury to <laughs> the David Ash situation to the Jordan Hicks injury. 
in 2012, like all the different what ifs. Um, what if Texas doesn't lose to Kansas and Charlie's what happened to be Charlie's last year? Like, what if, of, yeah. of, of or what all if Texas loses to Kansas the, this year? Of all the what ifs in the decade, that's yeah. just another one to stack on top of it. That's and true. other than Colt's injury, that's probably number two. Yeah, it's the greatest what if. It's a good one. Too many of them. Um, let's go yeah. ahead and get. I want to talk some of the coaching stuff. Okay. Uh, I might dig into more. I might go on the site and dig more into third and seventeen and what it means. I think we covered it pretty good right there. But might look back into that. But Two hirings that we know of, right, have been finalized and announced. Andre Coleman getting a full-time promotion to wide receivers coach. Good for him. I heard he's well-liked. Yes, Jay Valai is going to coach corners. Uh, and uh, Chip Brown just reported at Horns 24-7 as we sit and record the show. Uh, Coleman Hutzler, a deal is being finalized wow. for him to be the linebackers. the linebackers coach and special teams coordinator is what it could look like because he was a special teams coordinator at South Carolina okay. for Will Muschamp. So, hey, the Muschamp coaching tree coming back into hey, play. I gotta, hey, I'm, I, I'm all, we all for Muschamp, mm. uh, you know, prodigies are out here. That's so, where yeah. our, our meatheadism, if you will, for football comes <laughs> yeah. in. He's, for, speaking of a great meathead, he's yes. a good he's he's a meathead. But, I mean, that's just, you know. And it was know. funny watching yeah. Nivar because it was almost as if he was channeling his inner mush champ on the sidelines like he was oh, in the all black yeah, and he was all they got him like cussing like saying you f you mother yeah. yes that's a good it one. was pure mush i will say this i've heard andre coleman i've heard really good things about him um even going back to his time at k-state uh with title lockett uh it was kind of he was, it was like his main guy that he mm-hmm. developed uh and he's also he's a great special teams mind too he was a really good special teams player uh, right, he was a good kick returner. Still I believe. has the Super Bowl record yes. for uh, longest kickoff return. Yeah, so he's you know you need improvement on special teams. So the Andre Coleman thing, what makes me want, you know what? And I like this. Why it took so long? Because he was obviously right there as an offensive analyst for them. You know, people are like, oh, it took him so long to name him as a wide receivers coach. I think they had a process. I think they vetted him. I think they put him at maybe fourth or fifth on their <laughs> list, and they had some guys ahead of him and. I, at least I would like to think this, that they went through a thorough process and went, okay, this guy's unavailable, the Emmett Jones I kn- coach I know Kansas. What right? I can tell you on that, I know Tom Herman wanted to hire Emmett Jones. Exactly. Emmett Jones would have come to Texas. I just think, and, and people can talk about money or whatever, I just think the buyout was – What was that, a quarter of a million? 600000 I think is what – Oh, it was, was more than – Oh, wow, I yeah. thought it was – that's, that's yeah. way more significant than I thought. Because uh, so I, I never, yeah. that's what Chip reported. Chip reported was six hundred thousand. I'll be mm-hmm. honest, I haven't talked to Chip about specifics of it. No, no, no. I, but I was told, I, got, I was yeah. told, the buyout in his new contract at Kansas was that makes sense though. Was, it was some, too much. Yeah, I was told it was in the neighborhood of what a P five coordinator buyout. Because I was about would to say, because I was say, quarter of a million would shouldn't be that much as a buyout for Texas. But what, for what, other schools, I Joe Wicklines like three hundred grand or something. Yeah, well, who's this? Joe Wicklines. Oh, the Steve Patterson tried to not pay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I could understand that, and th- that, I'm sure he was higher on the list. And then, of course, that didn't work out. And I would, I would like to think a couple other guys were probably on that list. Didn't work Tyron out. Carey and then, and they were like, you know up. what? Coleman yeah. is still fourth or fifth on our list. And you know what? He's really good. We've actually got a chance to better more, and it'll be a more of a seamless transition because he's been here with the guys. He'll probably be able to start out at a higher level in terms of the the intimacy and the relationship. With I don't the even players. think he was. That, I don't even think he was that low. He right? may not have been that low. He may have been third. I, I, I think know. they. I don't think they. You know, Andre Coleman's the kind of guy that from. Talk, I'll, 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 I talked to some people yesterday, and this is kind of what I got on Andre Coleman. Uh, good recruiter. Well, mm-hmm. as much of an ace recruiter as you can be at K State, where K-State. they don't they don't value recruiting. Bill yeah. Snyder didn't value. He got some JUCO, um, mm-hmm. but it could. If he's at a place like Texas, he should be a really good recruiter. Uh, his his receivers were always pretty good. Heard he was a relationship uh, guy. Yeah, very Big highly thought. Guy. Very highly thought of. As Parents a, like him. Right. Very yeah. highly thought of as a coach, as a technical coach, a coach of the wide receiver position. Yeah. Um, Talked to one K State source who told me he was one of the few guys on that staff. And again, Bill Snyder didn't value high school recruiting as much as he probably should have, uh, just the way he ran things. But there's some people at K State thought he was one of the guys that really got after it in recruiting. And the thing that Tom Herman probably likes about him, detail oriented guy is the thing that keeps coming up when you talk mm-hmm. about Andre Coleman. Got Tom Herman East those kind of guys. Yeah. yeah. And at that position where again you lose Colin Johnson, you lose Devin Duvernay. Yeah, and you basically starting basically starting over. You need a technician because uh and I, I'm assuming that they're gonna be expanding the route tree as well from I hear about Yursage's offense. He likes to use the wide the out the wide receivers on the outside a lot more yeah. in terms of more expansive route trees for those guys. So yeah, I, I mean I I've heard that I, because he's a technical freak I mean, in terms of he's obsessed with the details of running a route and the footwork and putting your foot here and the cutting here uh, that'll be really good for the wide receivers because 
uh, that was I don't know that you could say that was sloppy last year. I just don't think they ran a lot of uh, variation of routes last year. Yeah. I think they were pretty simplistic. In the As we said, that route tree didn't have a lot of branches. on Yeah, it. and even Devin Duvernay, I love Devin Duvernay. He's not a great route runner. Well, and no. then, Devin Duvernay is just a freak that gets open. He's not a he's not a skilled route runner by any imagination. I don't necessarily think Colin Johnson was. I think he's just a freak that had a huge catch radius. Catch radius, and then Duvernay has mm. eye hand <clears throat> coordination. Yeah, like, like literally, yeah. he has stickum. He's like I, Michael Thomas. Almost. I always say the, the the art of route running is creating separation and. And honestly, I didn't see a lot of separation from route running a lot of the times. It was, and they didn't get schemed open a lot of the times. That's why Devin Duvernay has such a great highlight reel. Yeah. And that's why Colin Johnson's highlight reel is awesome. Because it's all of them catching footballs right over defenders or one-handed catches with defenders draped on them, contested catches. They should have more LSU wide-open catches yeah. where guys are running free. They don't have those because that's being schemed open. And that's also creating the art of separation, which is route running. And I don't think they do those very well. And you bringing up the outside receivers mm-hmm. aspect is big because, you know, it, it, it every offense should be – geared through strengths but for to be really almost out there and just volunteering information it's like no we run it through this guy and we do it and the film says it and we double down and tell you makes things a little bit more predictive especially if it isn't a complex route tree or yeah. anything involving from it so just the idea that no nah, yeah but we're gonna go where the defense dictates and where the open guy is and that type of idea and if you have strengths on yeah. those opposing outside it really is better because not everybody's built to be the guy that's an insider receiver. and hopefully it's more positive Positionless football, that's what LSU does a ton of. That means with yeah. bunch formations, condensed formations, and sometimes the outside receiver is playing inside the slot like we did see every now and then them do with Colin Johnson. And I think without Corby, I think Corby Meekins was the, he was the outside receivers coach or inside? Inside? Inside, yeah. And then Drew Merger was outside. Now they're just consolidated that into one wide receiving coach position, and I think that will kind of lend itself to more positionless football. Yeah, because the rigidity of that yeah. really does limit your possibilities. Yeah. I think, too, the Twitter response from people close to the program regarding Andre Coleman was good. I know Brendan Eagles posted something positive on Twitter. That yeah, he they, liked the, the players move. like him. Marcus Washington's dad, I know, was was very parents like the him. Move, so. It's a good move. Yeah, I mean, and look, with, with you know, Believe what you want about the Drew Marriager situation. You know, things needed to change in that room. Yeah. And especially in a year where you're kind of starting over, like we said, with mm-hmm. losing two of the statistically greatest receivers in the history of the program. Um, it's it's nice to have a guy that's a good relationship builder that already has that rapport totally with a lot of guys in that room. Rod, in the time we got left, I want to get your thoughts on the Jay Valai hire because oh, yeah. <clears throat> we've talked about in Chris Ash's scheme, assuming he's going to run – you know, he's going to run variations of Tampa 2, which we've seen that kind of take mm-hmm. over the league again. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird how the Tampa 2 is out now in the Big 12. It's back in with that inverted Tampa 2. I was like, yeah, it's just, it's just with a hybrid linebacker. Yeah. That's all it is. Right? Um, and, and we know he's going to run some press quarters. but and So we know, bottom line, in a press quarter stuff, corners and, and the ability that those guys have to play man coverage because there could be times they get stuck on an island. It's huge. We knew corners coach was going to be a really important hire. I agree. And there's people that are that really are looking at the Jay Valai hire. Like there seems to be very little in between mm-hmm. in terms of fan reaction to they the like, Jay Valai they hire. Like it or they they either it. liking things as a great upside hire or they right. think it's bad. Yeah. I look at it like this. It, this is this is how I think you could look at it positively. <laughs> when the NCAA allowed the tenth assistant, a lot of coaches looked at that tenth assistant as who's a guy that we can put on the field, but really his biggest value is going to be his ability to go recruit off campus. Mm, okay. It's going to be his ability to recruit. Yeah. I think that's what Jay Valai is. Not, and I'm not taking anything away from him as a corners coach. I just think it's an unknown. Like, no, he's got the one-season coach at totally Rutgers. Good. Like, nobody really knows, like, what he's going to do coaching a corner position. But where is he proven at the college level? He's proven himself to be damn good in the recruiting department. Mm-hmm. Very highly thought of from his two years at Georgia. Yeah. Led the way on, on some of the Texas prospects they recruited. Uh, Lewisine, Tommy Bush, guys like that that they got in. Uh, I know Noah Kane when Georgia was recruiting Noah Kane, that uh, Jay Valai was big on that. Uh, and he's got ties. He's a Collieville Heritage guy. He's from Euless. So he's got ties in a Metroplex. <clears throat> so that's an area where Texas obviously mm. needs to be better in terms yeah. of scouting, evaluating everything in terms of recruiting. So I just think if you look at it from that standpoint, if you're down on it, that probably may, that might make it a little bit easier to stomach. I don't know how it's going to work out. I do know the early returns on Jay Valai. I'm encouraged by what I've heard uh, and encouraged with what I've heard in terms of how he's approached the job in his first few days. Yeah. No, I, I, um, I'm i going to be optimistic about it. I, I do – remember I said I think Texas' biggest issue, issue is development of talent. So I'm a little mm, – I, I, I can say I'm a little cautious. He's just going to be the assistant 
to Chris Ash. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if he's going to be teaching cornerbacks, for say, like his own technique and thing. They're not bringing him in for that. He's teaching the technique that Chris Ash wants him to teach. That's why Chris right. Ash wants him there because Chris okay, Ash is like, no, you, yeah. this guy aligns perfectly with my philosophy. He's going to yeah. teach what I want him to teach. There's not going to be like, hey, man, if you want to freestyle here, man, you know what? You can do that because you, you, you shuffle better than you backpedal. He's like, no, no, no. I want a guy to do this, and he's going to teach that. Right. And if he's an ace recruiter, that's, that's fantastic. I would just like a guy that's known for developing talent at cornerback because you have right now some potential, you know, NFL corners right. in there. And I would like a guy that I know can do that, but I'm not saying he can't. As you point out, that has not been proven yet. That's not on his resume. It's, it's the not unknown. Yet. It's the unknown. It's the unknown. And you know what? Maybe Chris Ash already knows that. He's like, watch when this guy gets Texas yeah. talent. Watch what he does with it. And hopefully that's the case. And if you're checking the glass half full view, I think that's how you have to look at it. Again, yeah. if, you're, if you're the glass half empty, that's how I would sell it to you is – don't even just take the coaching side out of it. Just trust it. Yeah, the, then you're assuming all their hires are flawed. Right. Like heavily flawed. Look, you know I mean? I'll say that if, if you know nothing else about Jay Valai, know this. If Kirby Smart trusts you enough that when he's down an assistant coach that he's going to put you on the road to go recruit. Yeah, I agree with you on that too. You got some chops. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. And I will say his time in the NFL, even though I know he was like a quality control guy, the, the NFL's emphasis is development. The NFL doesn't get acquisition. They got a separate department for that. The NFL is all about development. They don't even when you come in first, second, third round, fourth round. Hell, I think sixty percent of the NFL is guys who were drafted in a fourth round or lower. Mm-hmm. Like the NFL is about development. That's why you like those guys that come from league. Joe Brady's about developing and maximizing talent. They probably had to teach that guy how to recruit. He never had a full time job for God's sake. He's probably gonna know how to relate to the world, but they know how to develop talent in that league. And I like that background. I like a league background. That's what Stan Drayton, right? League background because they're all about developing talent. Yeah, and any Texas fan, if you sit around and be like, ah, eh, Kirby Smart, whatever, it's like, that's Will Muschamp's roommate. Take it up with Will Muschamp. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Tell him he doesn't know football. Hell yeah. All right, I want to get more into uh, the new hires, Andre Coleman, Jay Valai, <clears throat> Coleman Hustler. Whenever we come back, that probably will be finalized, and we'll see what other staff positions have been finalized when we get back. And if there's any new uh, staff openings, as of right now, the time we're recording this, still haven't heard anything officially on Stan Drayton. Is he going to go to the NFL? Is he going to stay in Texas? So we'll get into all that and much more on next week's show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. Thanks to Matt. You can find all of our archives, classic shows, classic interviews on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. And thank you guys so much for continuing to support the podcast. Don't forget, search Horns 24-7 Podcast. Anywhere you get your podcasts, you get us. You get State of Recruiting. You get the flagship. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Search Horns 24-7 Podcast to get all of the latest for the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.